Hello, and welcome to MTC Audio Lab, brought to you by Melbourne Theatre Company. MTC Audio Lab is theatre for your ears, bringing great dramatic texts to life with some of your favourite stage actors. Melbourne Theatre Company acknowledges the Yalakut Willem peoples of the Bunwarung, the first peoples of country on which these recordings took place. We pay our respects to all of Melbourne's first peoples, to their ancestors and elders, and to our shared future. In this first series, you'll hear great Australian speeches performed by some great Australian actors. Directed by MTC Associate Director Petra Khalif, these recordings give voice and recognition to important speeches and texts from our history. You'll hear an introduction to the speeches by Petra at the beginning of the episode. Dame Enid Lyons was the first woman elected to the House of Representatives. She was the mother of 12 children. Her youngest was not quite 10 when she spoke these words. This is Dame Enid Lyons' maiden speech as the member for Darwin on the 29th of September 1943, read by Mark Downey. I believe very sincerely that any woman entering the public arena must be prepared to work as men work. She must justify herself not as a woman, but as a citizen. She must attack the same problems and be prepared to shoulder the same burdens. But because I am a woman and cannot divest myself of those qualities that are inherent in my sex, and because every one of us speaks broadly in the terms of one's own experience, Honourable members will have to become accustomed to the application of the homely metaphors of the kitchen rather than those of the operating theatre, the workshop or the farm. They must also become accustomed to the application to all kinds of measures of the touchstone of their effect upon the home and the family life. I hope that no one will imagine that that implies in any way a limitation of my political interests. Rather, it implies an ever-widening outlook on every problem that faces the world today. Every subject from high finance to international relations, from social security to the winning of the war, touches very closely the home and the family. Somewhere about the year 1830, there began a period in Australian history which for me has always held a peculiar fascination. It was during those years that we learned those things which still characterise the great bulk of our people. Hatred of oppression, love of a fair go, a passion for justice. We are now on the threshold of such another era when further formative measures will have to be taken because we are today an organised community which no longer exists purely upon the initiative of its individual members. And if we would serve Australia well, we must preserve those characteristics that were formed during that early period of our history. In the matter of social security, one thing stands out clearly in my mind. Such things are necessary in order that the weak shall not go to the wall, 
that the strong may be supported, that all may have justice. But we must never so blanket ourselves that those fine national qualities of which I have spoken shall no longer have play. I know so well that fear, want, and idleness can kill the spirit of any people, but I know too that security can be bought at too great a cost, the cost of spiritual freedom. How then may we strike a balance? That, it seems to me, is the big question for us to decide today. There is one answer. We know perfectly well that any system of social security devised today must be financed largely from general taxation. Yet I would insist that every person in the community, in receipt of any income whatsoever, must make some contribution to the Fund for Social Security. I want it to be an act of conscious citizenship. There should be pensions for all. There should be no means test. Those who have should contribute according to their means. But everyone, how little he or she earns, should contribute something, be it only a threepenny stamp, as a sort of token payment for the advantage of Australian citizenship. I am delighted that the Honourable Member for Denison, Dr Gahar, should have secured the honour of having introduced to this chamber, in this debate, the subject of population. I, like him, have pondered on this subject, not with my feet upon the mantelpiece, but knee-deep in shawls and feeding bottles. I have pondered it, surrounded by those who, by their very numbers, have done quite a good deal to boost the population of Australia. I believe that I have at least tried out some of the theories which would make for a better population, and that I know some of the difficulties that present themselves to any person who, in these days, desires to rear a family. One honourable member has spoken of the need for a greater population for reasons of defence. That, of course, is something that has to be considered. But there has also to be considered the fact that unless we fill this country, we shall have no justification in the years that are ahead for holding it at all. State paternalism became necessary, and even in state paternalism certain reasons for the decline of family life can be found. At the other end of the social scale, other reasons can be found for the declining birth rate. New inventions and the provision of luxuries provided new ways of spending incomes and leisure. There was less domestic help to be had. Finally, people began to think that the woman who became the mother of a family was something of a lunatic. About 30 years later, she began to be regarded as something of a criminal lunatic. In the end, the belief developed that it was a social virtue to produce fewer and fewer children. Where such a state of affairs exists, it is a matter of courage, even of hardihood, to have a family of more than two or three. We must look to the basic wage, which at present provides for the needs of three children for every man who receives it, 
Yet how many thousands of men in this country have no children at all? Let the man's wage be a direct charge upon industry, but the children should be a charge on the whole community. If we hope to increase the birth rate, we must look to a resurgence of the national spirit, a resurgence of national vitality. Now let me turn just for a moment to the international sphere. I have heard expressions of opinion that have surprised and even hurt me, and I have heard some that have cheered me greatly. Some honourable members have assured us that there can never be any hope that mankind will escape the horror of war that descends upon the world every now and then. Others have assured us that by international coordination, we can usher in very quickly the reign of peace for which we all long. I saw a film dealing with the war in Europe. There was one scene which portrayed the evacuation from Dunkirk. We saw how the German army flowed across the Low Countries and over northern France, and how the small British army was squeezed into an ever-decreasing compass until finally it was compressed into the small area immediately around Dunkirk. Then the picture showed a mist on the water, and the voice of the announcer said this, And then, out of the mist, there came a strange flotilla, warships and fishing smacks, and craft of all kinds filled the sea. It was the sea-going English come to rescue their own. And I felt, as I believe every other person felt who saw the picture, that this indeed was one of the greatest moments in the history of our race. I thought then, as I think now, that we should not fail occasionally to pause and look back upon the great moments of our past. We go along thinking always that we progress, but sometimes we have to pause and take stock. I think that every Australian should pause now and again and say to himself, only 150 years ago this land was wilderness. Now we have great cities, wonderful feats of engineering, and beautiful buildings everywhere. And this is still a land of promise. We cannot afford to neglect some recognition of our past, even though we gaze into the future. Now, honourable members will forgive me, I know, when I say that I bear the name of one of whom it was said in this chamber, that to him... The problems of government were not problems of blue books, not problems of statistics, but problems of human values and human hearts and human feelings. That, it seems to me, is a concept of government that we might well cherish. It is certainly one that I hold very dear. I hope that I shall never forget that everything that takes place in this chamber goes out somewhere to strike a human heart, to influence the life of some fellow being. And I believe this, too, with all my heart, that the duty of every government, whether in this country or any other, 
is to see that no man, because of the condition of his life, shall ever need lose his vision of the city of God. Great Australian Speeches was directed by Petra Khalid, with performances by Sharina Clanton, Mark Cole-Smith, Mark Downey, Greg Stone, Leonie Wyman, and Isabella Yenner. Theme music by Clements Williams. Sound design and engineering by Nick Woolen. Produced by the team at MTC. Enjoyed this episode? To hear more theatrical tales, subscribe to MTC Audio Lab or learn more by heading to mtc.com.au.